Hey there, welcome to our GBC Mission Podcast. My name is Jodine and I'm part of the GBC Faith Community and I'm glad you can take some time to join us. Through this series we'll be talking with the organisations whose projects we are supporting through May Mission Month. And today we're speaking to the Bible Society, hearing about their work across the globe. Today we're speaking with Jonathan Harris, who is the National Manager for Church and Community Relations. Thanks for joining us today. G'day. It really is an honour. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Jodine. So Jonathan, firstly, can you tell us a bit about your own faith journey? Oh gosh, well, it's been a bit of a journey, that's for sure. Uh, I was raised uh, way back when, since 1967, with the Aboriginal community up in the Northern Territory, a place called Owen Pelly, now called Gumbalanya, because my grandparents were CMS missionaries. And then my father wanted to follow in his footsteps, and he went onto the mission field and took me when I was about three. So I grew up amongst these beautiful people at, uh, around the Gumbalanya Billabong. I uh, grew up with Aboriginal kids. So I really still have fond memories of um, living with those guys, fishing in the billabong, eating water lilies, hunting goanna. And then uh, my father then started to go into more private industry. He started being a wild buffalo hunter. We moved to Darwin, but uh, then we offered to go with him on these buffalo hunting trips to go and bring uh, meat back. And it was quite an adventure for a young boy. Wow. And uh, then after that, moved down to a farm in New South Wales where... I was part of the Anglican Church and went through Billy Graham Crusades where I really took ownership for my faith, I think, when I was about 14. And I remember the memory verses that they gave out in those days and I loved reading the scriptures and I memorized on my own volition. After that, I went to school in Tamworth, a country town in New South Wales, country music capital. And uh, then I started to think about going on a missionary journey, took a trip overseas to work with CMS missionaries through Borneo, Malaysia, Thailand, Pakistan, Nepal, and worked with YWAM a little bit. But then I went off the rails a bit. I came back and moved out of home to college and then went really, went crazy. Started chasing girls and drinking like a fish and partying and I studied acting and went to acting college for a year and started smoking like a chimney. It wasn't until one day actually, it was after drinking part of a magnum of champagne, I woke up flat on my back in this party and weave my way home to this college and I thought, what in the world am I doing? I think my conscience really was pricking me and my grandparents raising me and my dad raising me with the scriptures was a foundation and that really resonated deeply with me and I thought, I've just got to figure this out. I didn't know how to change. Then someone walked up to me on the street and just said, hey, mate, you want to come to a Bible study? That was when I was about 23 and then from that time on, I thought, if I don't do it now, I never will. And they studied the Bible, cooked me curry, and actually started with deep relationship, but it was all about discipleship. And they said, well, if you really want to follow Jesus, you need to be a disciple. So I was actually baptized when I was 23 and took God really seriously from that point on. Then I went to uni again, studied to be a minister. When I ministry in New Zealand, came back, went full-time ministry. Then I married my beautiful wife, Wendy, when I was 30. We ministered in Melbourne, church plantings. Then went out of that that job, then uh, went into ministry in a different way, in finance, helping people. Uh, but then I got a job with Scripture in New South Wales, and I started working with Aboriginal people right around the outback. And uh, that gave me a heart for the Indigenous people again. I started thinking about them until uh, only two and a half years ago, I heard about this role with the Bible Society. 
getting Bibles and translating and all stuff, all sorts of things for the whole world and, and a national role. So I was quite intrigued. Wow. What a core sample you've just given us of your life. Just that's the abbreviated version. Wow. (laughs) I feel like there's along the way there were so many questions I wanted to ask of all the different areas. I'm like, wow, there's plenty more conversations in that. That is amazing. So obviously you've had a real passion for the scriptures. Uh, What's obviously you've been in your job for two and a half years. Yep. Uh, Why are you passionate about it now? Oh, look, I think it grows on us. I think uh, ever since I was a kid, I was always around the Bible. We had to read the Bible in the morning and at night, but I found it a bit legalistic in those days. But I do believe like in 2 Timothy 1, Paul says to Timothy, he says that, you know, I see I see the faith of your mum and your grandma, Lois mm. and Eunice, in you. I can just see that. And I, I remembered their faith. I remember their, just their reliability. I remember their heart. I remember their love for the Aboriginal people. And that stuck with me. And then... I started memorizing scripture when I became a young minister myself and we had a goal. Everyone who came to church needed to memorize scripture, which I think is a wonderful discipline to have. So those memorized scriptures really are my foundation and they are something that keeps me strong and I believe in trying to read the Bible as much as I can every week and my wife and I get on this version Bible app and mm. we share a devotion with each other so we you know, walking and praying every day together. And I think that's the thing that helps me to push through all the challenges and the stress of the role. Yeah, wow. So you really benefit, obviously, from having the Bible in your own heart language, being English. Can you tell us a bit more about the project in Vietnam and what it means to have you? You know, it's something we, I guess we can't grapple with because we're so used to having a translation in our own language available to us anytime, anywhere. Can you tell us a bit more about the project? Yeah, look, I'd love to. It, it's really quite a challenging thing to share and we're trying to pick our um, topics and names. We can't name individuals personally because it's a very sensitive uh, topic politically because sure. of persecution in the country. Mm-hmm. But the um, Vietnam Bible Society, as together with the Vietnam Partnership, are working together to coordinate planning, translation, typesetting, publishing in certain minority languages. In those regions, there are minority groups that don't have uh, any scripture or just a little bit of scripture in their own personal dialect. So our determination is to really help those people because they're the ones that just don't have access. So they do have access if they want it of the Vietnamese Bible, which is a national language, obviously, but many of them can't read. Now, in saying all this, the communist government has actually been pretty good at helping people gain literacy skills. So 93% of the country is has literacy, but in these remote areas, it's 80% of the people in most cases don't, mm. and especially women. Women are the ones that are actually always the forgotten ones yeah. that are supposed to look after the family and work and not get educated. So that's where we're doing a lot of the translation work right now, but mm. it's really a very, very sensitive situation and we can't really share where or the names and who those people involved. Yeah, appreciate that. Mm. Um, how does the project impact people? Obviously, you talk about the translation of the Bible, but there's also literacy programs involved. What does that look like? Can you explain that to us? Yeah, so literacy, effectively, we we think that if we make all this effort, do all this fundraising, and then we actually deliver, print the Bible, deliver the Bible, but then the people can't even read the Bible, then we're really not doing a good job. So we waste a lot of time and money and the sacrifice of these people and what they're trying to do. So what we're doing is once someone actually desires to read, to learn to read, then we actually empower them by setting up uh, partnerships with the local church. 
and those local churches that really want to run a literacy course, we do. So currently the main focus of literacy is with these remote groups to learn Vietnamese, the majority language, because right. we have a full Bible in Vietnamese. Yeah. So they're learning using the actual text of the Bible mm. as a teaching text so that they can actually learn to read Vietnamese, speak it, and also go into the marketplace. It empowers them to be able to do business mm. down in the big cities because we've found that people, when they try to make money to support the church or their family, they literally are underprivileged, so they actually don't get to understand business. Yeah. So I find it's actually a real sustainable model that people, when they're learning, uh, getting the gospel, but they're understanding uh, how to actually relate in the marketplace as well. So when we finish uh, more of the Gospels and more of the uh, minority language Bibles, we'll be doing more translation, uh, more literacy work with those people there as well. Mm, great. What are the stories or feedback that you hear from people in these areas? Oh, great question. I've, I've actually, if you don't mind, I'll read some of the quotes, but from some of the translator themselves. Mm. Like I've actually visited some of the um, people out in Central Australia where we've been doing recent Bible recordings for the Pitch and Jarrah mm. and also the Gunwingu Bible languages. And they're saying when they're actually translating the Bible into their own dialect, it just means that God is talking to them personally. And you find then the translating booths are in tears. They're weeping as they're actually reading these texts that are going to be read for generations to come. And it's the same with these translators in Vietnam. He says... Since I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, my life, thinking and beliefs have changed and I've been released from all my anxieties, fear, loneliness and hopelessness and frustration. My dream and desire is that everyone will come to know the Creator and worship Him, especially among the Muong tribe. Another church leader, by the way, who leads 400 people, has said he has 14 churches, so it's difficult for the church members to fully understand the gospel message so if he has the Bible in his dialect, preaching the Bible teaching becomes much easier for him and much more enjoyable for the church because they get it. They get God. God's coming home. God's speaking to them personally from the heart. So I love hearing those stories. But also the impact actually um, to people that come to the church. I heard him say something recently as well, and he said there's a young man apparently that comes to the church. He didn't go to church for a very long time. He says, we asked him to join our meetings where they reviewed the first translation drafts and he was excited to come and even to come back to church after reviewing, the reviewing period ended. And he said, reading the word in my language made me turn back to God. His word is so powerful. And that, that's what gets me. Yeah. That's what I love. It's just when people through just reading the word itself, not hearing a sermon, not attending a group, but just letting the word soak their hearts. That's where it's powerful. It's so interesting in these times where I guess people and nations are so displaced to hear the Bible and God's word in your own language is something so powerful. Uh, I was at a church a few weeks back and um, their senior pastor was telling me about how they read, they're in an area that's very multicultural and they will intentionally read uh, Bibles in different dialects and these people were visiting visiting, and it was the first time they'd ever heard the Bible in their language and they sat there weeping because they'd yeah. only just yeah. come to Australia and to hear their language in a place that was so foreign, you know, it was so incredible. I um, was able to be blessed to be involved in something like this recently. Um, my grandmother, who went up on the mission, obviously, as I shared, she was up there and she was sitting in the 1930s era when all the Aboriginals were still coming out of the bush escaping uh, 
uh, you know, the genocide that was going on yeah, in the 30s right. and 40s. And, and she had these people coming to visit her, her church, which was under a bark hut in the middle mm-hmm. of Arnhem Land. And the mandate for missionaries in those days was teach them English, westernize them, help them to, you know, be part of our culture. Wow. But they just weren't getting the gospel. They weren't understanding it. So she just said, look, we just have to start writing this down. Let's just get this into the Gunwingu language, which is a local dialect or one of the many. So with Rachel and Hannah, these Aboriginal ladies, they started in an exercise book. She was a school teacher. She wasn't a linguist. Just writing it down phonetically as these ladies, very smart Aboriginal ladies, were helping her. And then she, and then she, five verses every day, every afternoon in the heat of the Northern Territory, started the Gospel of St. Mark. And after four years of doing this, week after week, month after month, they finished the Gospel of St. Mark. A linguist so happened to be passing through to see what was going on in the missions, saw her, her books and hand, handwritten Gospel of St. Mark, and he said, this is wonderful, this is tremendous. How did you do this? She said, oh, I just wrote it down. He took it to Sydney, showed the British and Foreign Bible Society, as it was known in those days, and said, they said, this is tremendous. We have to print this. This is amazing. 1942, the first edition, they sent back to Bumbalanya, Owen Pelly. And that was the year that Darwin was bombed. It was you know, all happening all at the same time. And, but then last year, a year after I was with the Bible Society, we got a message from China Amity Printing Press saying, oh, they, we're sending this complete New Testament of the Gunwingu Bible. It's going to arrive in the Sydney docks. Who's supposed to pick this up? I said, hang on a second. This is, I know this language. And one of our scholars said, well, that was your grandma, Jonathan. She started this you know, 80 years ago. And I said to the executive, please let me take this back to the people in Northern Territory. So Eternity News said, can we join you? So we filmed the journey to take 500 Bibles back to the people where I grew up. Oh, my god! my dad helped me grow up eating these water lilies and hanging out with Aboriginal kids. And I said, please help me to find some of the kids who grow up with you, give them oh. this, the Bible. Lo and behold, it turned up, found one of the guy who went to school with me. I said, I want to give this back to you. It's your language, your words. So many tears. It was just one of the most profound days of my life. And now there's people that are traveling from all the outstations to come and see this word, some of them for the first time ever in their own language. But this is actually what's going on in Vietnam. This is the very same thing. People are traveling to see the Bible in their own language. And, you know, currently there's um, one of the Vietnamese pastors has said, but when it comes to spirituality and religious concepts, they have difficulty in grasping the meaning in the majority language, Vietnamese, like Mm. the the main language that everyone has to use. Mm. So hence having the Bible translated into their native language is essential for spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. So all these people are determined to get it into their heart language so they can have the same impact. Yeah. You know, it's hilarious. I have a friend and she's Japanese. Uh, she obviously, she speaks English as well. Uh, and she was over in Australia and living here for several years and studying and um, at Bible college and going to church, English church, English speaking church. Uh, and then I said to her one day, what language does God speak to you in? And she was like, Japanese, of course. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing right. to think, you know, that people's Native heart language is so important in that transaction of God. Not to say that God can't use other languages, but, yeah, you're so right that there's something profound about hearing it yep. in a way and your culture speaks. Well, you know what? There's another translator says almost exactly the same thing from Vietnam and he said we need a Bible in our own language because when we share the gospel using Vietnamese words, God feels very far away, mm. like from another tribe. 
And he says, but in our own language, God becomes one of us. Oh, my gosh. So that's the identity, the resonating feeling you have when you actually read it and it's he, he's part of our family. Mm. So I just That's why I love my job. I just <laughs> yeah. love my job. It's like that message translation um, where it said God became flesh and moved into the neighbourhood, you know. He became one of us. Exactly, exactly right. Yeah, right. Wow. So at GBC we've had the privilege of partnering with the Bible Society in a number of different projects um, through May Mission Month over the years. Uh, We supported a project in Rwanda in 2008, Mozambique in 2012, and then obviously in 2015 we were part of the Indigenous translation in the pitch and general language yep and but the executive greg clark the ceo just wanted to send his appreciation for that because the impact has been profound Mm. and i wanted to share the good news and say thanks to your congregation because the book of daniel was obviously uh released i think we sent you a copy of that hopefully uh, that was shared around a bit but now what's happened is the pitch and jarra language that the book of daniel was done which you sponsored that now is actually going into the revised overall shorter bible the pitch and jarrah bible and that's going to be released and delivered to the people this september in 2019 so literally what you've done now is in the bible forever it's part of their culture forever they're getting the word in their own heart language and the other good news of this is because of that we're doing audio recordings so people where they can't get access to the physical bible can download these things on an app and listen to the bible um, audibly or read it themselves in text. So very, very exciting times for us to see this. And, you know, we just hope that we might be able to talk about more of these books being translated. So currently the project is ongoing for another nine to ten years before we believe we can completely finish the Old Testament of the Pitch and Jarrah language, which you've helped us with. Really appreciating all the help you've done in the past. Mm. It's amazing because, yeah, so many uh, cultures... Uh, oral whilst a written text can be helpful i think hearing it um is a, is a whole other thing for a number of different groups well that's right and in, in fact in many of uh, these these uh, aboriginal cultures especially and overseas uh they're basically things have been passed down you know audibly it's mm. literally they passed down culture language and we really ho- hope to have see a resurgence in language as we're seeing in many schools where they're putting aboriginal languages back into schools mm. to keep that culture alive so the government loves what we're doing. They see that as being you know, part of it. The other thing about Vietnam is the fact that there are very, very few written texts in these languages. Wow. And the Bible is one of the only main texts that is written that is actually in use over there. So we're seeing that the interest is becoming very, very uh, large, very big. Mm, amazing. It's really great uh, hearing, I guess, the similarities between the project. Like you explaining what has happened here in Australia which we've been a part of, but then also in Vietnam. So I think you can get, a, I guess, an appreciation of the complexity when you think about it in our own context of what that means in Vietnam. So I think, and the issue here is it's, it's, a lot of people don't know this, but there's been a massive growth in, in Vietnam of the Christian, like Protestant especially in the last 10 years, there's been 600% growth in the churches there. Just profound. But what they're finding, though, is that the more Christians there are, there becomes actually more problems because of the persecution. So the government says, oh, no, we don't want to see any of this radicalization or resurgence of this, so we're going to clamp down on it. So then there'll be things we've heard, like I shared today at church, is the fact that you know people, are, they'll bring a Buddha statue in and they'll actually force people to get on their knees and actually recant their religion mm. and become Buddhist. 
But like in China right now, there's such an explosion in believers. The ratio is really only one pastor to 7,000 believers. What ends up happening here, just like in the New Testament, there's an immediate amount uh, of false teaching starts being spread around. People don't understand the scripture really well. So we really need to have people that are literate, that understand the scriptures, that can teach it really well. This is a very, very important thing for Vietnam, China, Pakistan, uh, Mozambique, Australia, just to really have that solid grounding so we can get really strong churches and mm. strong teaching. Just out of interest, how many languages are in the world and how many Bible <laughs> translations have there been? Yep, great question. The, um, so there's 7,100 global languages and dialects, so like sort of smaller languages, mm -hmm. but still obviously very important. There are only, last count, but it's changing month by month, 650 full Bibles in print. We've got wow. a long way to go. That's astounding. 7,100 languages, 650 full Bibles. Now, that's not to say there's not a lot of uh, New Testaments. Mm -hmm. Like there's 17 New Testament Aboriginal Bibles now, but mm -hmm. there's only one full Aboriginal Bible, mm -hmm. the Creole. Mm -hmm. So that's really special, and we're doing a revised version of that this year as well. Mm -hmm. um, but then around the world, they may have portions of Scripture. In Vietnam, we'll be doing portions, then full Gospels, then a goal is to complete full Bibles eventually. Mm. So that's the plan. Mm. What's one thing that's really, I guess, amazed you working with the Bible Society and sort of stepping out into this role? And obviously you've had a lot of experiences and uh, cross-cultural kind of um, exposure, but what's what's really impressed you or amazed you in, in recent times with your role? I think um, working with this organisation is really very humbling. There's, uh, we're, we've now just turned 202. Bible Society is the oldest living organisation in Australia. Governor Macquarie and his wife Elizabeth said we must get the Bible to as many settlers and convicts and schools as possible. And so to see that legacy of generation after generation has been quite profound. Thousands of supporters have gone behind all the work that's happened. And also what is amazing is the fact that since William Wilberforce really started the British and Foreign Bible Society, there's now 154 international Bible societies working in 200 countries mm. and working amongst this incredible uh, global group of believers is just so powerful. You feel very small, but you also feel like you're playing a part in it. Mm. And so they um, are around the world are involved in sort of countries where we can't even say the names without them getting in trouble. So we've got to be careful. But to give perspective, the Red Cross is in 193 countries United Nations and I think 195. Actively, though, the Bible Society works in 200 countries. Oh, wow. There's only eight or nine countries to go, which you could probably imagine some of those that we just have very, very limited access to at this time. Mm. So that's what I love about my job is working with such an incredible team. The United Bible Societies are our partners and they are the ones that actually we sort of work together. So we're a funding country, whereas many countries like Vietnam, Africa, uh, the Middle East, uh, funded countries so we provide support for them and we have this thing this global website called solomon where all these countries that need help put up all their projects the costings and the needs the, the urgency and the desperation on this solomon uh, website and then we decide which countries we work with that we can actually fund and we make a commitment to them so we need the wisdom of solomon so to speak to be able <laughs> to choose amongst these different so many projects but we can only really commit to 38 internationally and 20 locally every year. 
So thanks for, you know, going me a Baptist for being part of this. It really, really is so helpful to us yeah, to get absolutely. this job done. Yeah. It, it's such a privilege when you hear the backstory and how it impacts people and impacts nations and tribes. And That's right. That's yeah, right. It's phenomenal. Well, you're talking, you know, you're influencing the convictions of people, the education system of someone, the moral standards of someone. So mm. when we get a Bible to an Aboriginal person, they're going to be influencers. We, we're working with a leadership development group um, in Queensland led by Aboriginal people. And one of the women who's just literally studied the scripture, got the Bible's foundation, is saying, you know what? I'm going to be prime minister one day. Wow. And that with a Bible foundation, you know, that's an incredible zeal, incredible heart that this girl would have because she's been inspired by the scriptures. Mm. Love to hear those stories. Mm. There's one thing I really wanted to ask you uh, before we finish up. Obviously, you've mentioned how um, the Bible Society has been around for over 200 years. It was instrumental in getting uh, the Bible to settlers, convicts, and also the Indigenous people as well. It's interesting seeing our narrative as a nation as we sort of are going towards an arc towards reconciliation and just how interesting how the Bible has sort of been part of that. Um, but I wanted to ask you, when you were growing up amongst uh, Indigenous brothers and sisters, what did you learn from them and how how does their lifestyle and culture inform your faith now? Oh, look, you've hit a pretty soft spot for me. I When I went back just uh, last year, we dedicated this new Gunwingu Bible that my grandmother started and I went up and we had a celebration service and we were able to deliver and hand back their Bible that they'd been working on in the translation work. And me stepping back after 40 years, I thought, you know, this is special. But the bishop said, God is so kind of Jonathan that you allow him to come back into this family legacy. Isn't that wonderful what God can do? After the service, this group came up to me and started saying, oh, so your father, he's Wilfred Harris. Oh, so he's Nagajok's skin clan. Yeah, my father's Nagajok. Yep. And my father, before him, he helped with the Bible translation. So if your father's Nagajok, then you're my brother because my father's Nagajok. Now we're Nabalim, we're brothers. Come out and meet your auntie. Come out and meet your brothers and sisters. Walk me outside the church, sat down under mango tree, and they just invited me back into the family. I couldn't believe it after all the things Aboriginal people had gone through yeah. that they would actually be so generous, so hospitable, so much part of you know the Harris family to actually want me back into that family. And I was just blown away. So from my memories from 50 years ago growing up with these kids, you know, where they taught me how to hunt goanna and taught me how to eat their bush food and tucker and welcome me into their community to actually now be adopted back into the skin, skin clan was just profound. Just I'm so, so humbled. And so because of that humility, it just makes me just want to devote the rest of my life just to be able to help as much as I can in the ways that they want us to help, the ways that they ask for help, not what I think they need but what they, would, what they want. And I'm hoping we can actually finish that Bible. Mm. I believe we have so much to learn from our Indigenous brothers and sisters when it comes to faith and reconciliation absolutely, and living in a way that uh, we probably haven't even considered. Like we talk about inclusivity. I think they just live, breathe and ooze that naturally. You know, it's part of their law. So, yeah, it's incredible to hear a story like that. Thank you so much for having me on this show. It's just been wonderful and I, I just really hope that we can um, 
be able to give you a lot of feedback as to the results of the generosity of the church. And mm-hmm. we're determined to come back and just really show the impact of your commitment to the Bible Society has been. Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Uh, there are so many more questions I could ask, uh, but it's a real, I guess, treat to see a bit of a window into your life, to the work of the Bible Society and also the project we're supporting in Vietnam. So really appreciate your time. Praise God for your church. Thank you. Thanks. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation and have been inspired by the projects we are supporting this year in May Mission Month. You can get more information about the Bible Society at www.biblesociety.org.au. We recognise we have a global online listening community with downloads of our podcasts from over 28 nations. And we extend this opportunity to you to join us in supporting May Mission Month because these organisations cannot do it alone. For further information please go to www.guymeabaptist.org.au forward slash MMM2019, standing for May Mission Month 2019.